Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I go to a Walmart on Saturday afternoon and have somebody walk out of the door, um, walk across the parking lot, walk down the mall and walk into another store. And, you know, a half hour, hour later, come back. I don't know how many people would have gone through there by then, right? Start my dog at the door and he'll track that, he'll find that scent and track that victim all the other scents that are there. One thing we all love to do with our dogs is hit the road and go on new adventures. In order for that to happen, we have to be able to safely and efficiently travel with our dogs. Dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyle products for you and your best friends. Their one-piece roto-molded kennels have many options such as the Hero Series for military-grade crates, T1 low-profile kennels that will fit truck beds with tonneau covers, and their most popular G3 Series that's available in any size you'll need. Dakota not only offers many different sizes and styles of kennels, they also offer products and accessories to help with food and water transport, truck bed storage, and even grooming stations. Have a new puppy and only want to buy one kennel instead of buying multiple ones as they grow? Look at the Forever Kennel Insert Divider that gives you the ability to buy a kennel now and adjust the size inside as needed. No matter what you need to get you on your next adventure with your dog, Dakota has it for you. Check them out now at Dakota283.com. Your new 283 lifestyle is just one click and free shipping away. We are back with another week of GDIY. With me, as usual, is Joe Lamberson. Joey, what's going on? Living the dream, can't complain. Why are you always stealing my my saying, man? I don't even get to say it anymore. Listen, I gotta <laughs> hear that every time, multiple times, because I because it used to be I, I'd be on it during the interview and everything like that, and then I'd have to listen to it again when I was editing the podcast. So yeah. it's ingrained in my mind. There you go, man. Influencing all the time. Uh, well, you want to go ahead and tell everybody what we have for them this week. So, you know, we were actually just talking about this before we got on the podcast, talking about NAFTA. Um, and when we talk about a versatile dog, this week is a great example of a versatile dog. Yeah. I mean, 
when you got a dog that can really go out into the field, be what some people call like a meat dog, and then you've got what this episode's about. It's pretty crazy. Just, just really how, you know, how these dogs can be used. <laughs> well, go ahead and spit it out. What, what is this week about? <laughs> this week we have Spencer Fuller. And Nick, he uses his DK in a pretty cool way. He is a search and rescue dog in the great state of Maine. No, yeah, absolutely, man. He's It's a search and rescue dog. And so, like, he's doing a lot. What really stood out to me while recording this, and this isn't really, like, when I went into this, I, I usually have, like, an overall goal that I'm trying to reach and connect with on the on these topics. But as I'm recording with him, I realize just how similar – what he does with his dogs in terms of training and how he handles his dog, how similar it is to us with how we train our dogs to hunt and mm-hmm. with birds and everything. And so it, it really is a testament to just using the dog's genetics, what they're meant to do and how they're supposed to work and just applying it in the direction that you want to. So like while we're out there hunting and tracking animals and, you know, uh, just game, he applies the same genetics and tasks, but he's trying to search for missing persons and yeah. cadavers and, and so on and so forth. And I mean, you know, he's out in the woods, he's out in the conditions, he's out on the water. It's, 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 it's really similar when you listen to him and how he relates to training his dog and the scenarios that he's in uh, to what we do with our own dogs. It's just directing the dog to, to the game that you're, you're searching for, right? Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't, I didn't actually really make that connection, but I remember how just blown away I was when, you know, I think the first time I saw you and Alston kind of practicing, you know, the drag and just like, there's no way that dog's going to be able to find that thing that you just threw it, you know, put into the woods <laughs> and just like how crazy it was. And then you hear the stories on this, on this podcast where, you know, he's like, Hey, you can put that dog in front of a Walmart. <laughs> give him the scent and that dog is going to find that person inside that Walmart. Yep. It doesn't matter how many people will have walked in and out and everything like that. Yeah. Which it's just, um, you know, these dogs are crazy. Oh, it, it's nuts. And you know, spoiler alert, you know, he goes into one of his, uh, his war stories is what he calls it. Talking about how, uh, him and his dog went on an eight hour track to find a missing person. And that's after the person was missing for 28 hours. So, you know, think about that to where we're asking these dogs to track game and stuff that maybe mm-hmm. just passed the trail or you just shot. Picture that after it's it's been over a full day. I mean, yeah. you're talking about 28 hours and then asking the dog to track it. It's just it's just amazing and and it's really a testament to we're just scratching the surface on what these dogs can do. So, it's it's a really interesting episode and and like you you alluded to is I started out this episode thinking, okay, we're we're going to just talk about the versatility of these dogs. It's a, it's, he does it with GSPs. He does it. He has a DK right now from the Carters and uh, just really talking about the versatility of it. And then it, while I'm listening to him talk, I'm like, man, it's really not that much different than what we do. It's just uh, that the stakes are kind of higher, if you mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. So exactly. I, I think everybody will enjoy this episode. It, it was a fun one. Uh, we do have a, a few housekeeping notes to to take care of. The uh, GDIY training camp is coming. It is at the end of April. We have one slot available now. Uh, so if you want the slot with your dog, contact us and we'll get you on the list. But we have one slot left with a dog. We do have a 
quite a few people signing up to audit it and, and just uh, go through the training courses without their dog, just so they can download the information, everything uh, to audit it or uh, to just go along with it without your dog. We're asking a hundred dollars a person. The uh, last slot with the dog is two hundred and fifty dollars, but the uh, that's April twenty third through the twenty fifth. It's in North Carolina. If you want any more details, hit me up. But uh, if you, uh, I had a listener and a friend reach out and say, you know, I'm about to have to start getting ready for utility. I'm running NA this weekend. Uh, you know, I need to start figuring out how to train for that. And if you're if you're in the same boat, this is really a one stop shop to download mm-hmm. all the information that you're going to need. For a utility dog, if you're testing, but also just if you have a meat dog, it's just like this is going to answer everything you need. And then, you know, even even if you're not going to that level of uh, testing or anything, we do hit on, you know, the basics, the, the basic obedience and that foundational and then steadiness. And you can take that to uh, to apply to any level of steadiness that lines up with your goals and what you're going to be hunting and then force fetch. With duck search, I mean, it literally encompasses everything in one weekend. So, if you're looking for a way to to really learn from experienced people, that that weekend is for you. So, uh, don't wait any longer. If you want that last slot, reach out to us. There we go. Well, Nick, I got uh, the review. We've got go. some exciting things coming up uh, as far as merch goes. So, as we start working on our merch and getting that live, these. Uh, these uh, little things will be really nice because if yep. I'm reading your review on here, you're going to get a little bit of merch. Yep. You'll get something, but for right now you're stuck with a sticker. You're stuck with a sticker. <laughs> right. But so it, go ahead, leave a comment that really helps us out, helps the uh, algorithm on there um, for more people to kind of see us and, and everything like that. And I know I do that too. I, I make, make sure if I'm interested in podcasts, I look what other people are saying about it. So uh, this one's actually from uh, about a year ago. Uh, this one is open to the newbie. Guys are great and willing to help the newbie and advance the sport. Like the approach to understanding the why rather than sticking to the one method. Each dog and trainer is different and the guys understand that. Top notch. Thanks. And that is from Hunting Farm. Hunting Farm. Farm. Hunting Farms with a PH. Hunting Farms. So All Hunting right. Farm. Reach out to us. We'll throw you a sticker in the mail. Yep. appreciate the review hunting pharmacist let's get you that sticker reach out to us and we'll get, we'll get it in the mail for you and appreciate the review and guys you know you guys have really been helping out the past few weeks uh leaving these ratings and reviews mm-hmm. it does go a long way um the algorithm uh we can't tell you how it works but it does help us out so you know if you don't want to join patreon or uh you know shoot us an email or whatever just take five seconds leave leave us that five star and review and uh, we really appreciate it yeah, there we go. Well, do you have a, a tip of the week or? We yeah, yeah. Let's do a, a quick tip of the week. Uh, I mentioned this on the podcast probably about a year ago or so. It's been a while, um, and some people love this tip, and some people really kind of laugh at it and, and don't really see it see it, uh, how it applies. But especially if you're if you're in the suburbs and you're wanting to get some reps uh, with your dog on stop to flush scenarios, right? You know, not everybody has access to the birds on a weekly basis, let alone during the week. But with the days getting longer, maybe you can get home and you can do some reps in your backyard. Uh, what I did a, a couple years ago and it really helped. Uh, 
and again, some people laugh at this, but I've seen it. It works. And if you do it right and take your time, it can really go a long way in getting some extra reps during the week. Uh, use the bumpers, get those docking bumpers that look like birds and everything. And just mm-hmm. while the dog is out running, maybe it's a fun run in a field. The trick is make sure they don't see you throw it. You know, I, I actually liked wearing my little game vest so that I could have a couple of the, the bumpers in my pouch to where the dogs you know they're not stupid they know they're there because they can smell them when you're getting out of the truck or they see you put it in there but while they're running maybe they forget about it and you just you just throw it over their head and then as soon as you see them you you can woe them and you can start overlaying that stop to flush mentality and then especially if you're in the right area uh, that you're allowed to use like 22 blanks or primer loads or something like that you can even start incorporating you know some shots into that eventually uh but this is one of those things that, you know, don't rush this. Don't go out there with a, a, a bucket full of bumpers and start doing this. If you haven't formalized woe or anything like that, you really do need to be in the in the right stage of training for this. But if you are in that stop to flush and just working on some advanced steadiness, maybe uh, it is a good drill to do that. I found it does help. But, you know, like what a lot of people are going to say, it is not the same thing as a bird. I get that pigeons. And real live birds are clearly the the option for this, but it's one of those things that you got to make what you have work right. And yeah, it's one of those off season. And, and the way I looked at it when I when I started doing this on my own was, you know, if we can use bumpers to simulate birds on retrieving drills and so on and so forth, why not use them to simulate birds in flight? You know, it's these dogs aren't stupid. They, they know that it's not a real bird, uh, but it's just extra reps that you can then start applying into the field. And it's what we talk about all the time, baby steps, right? Yep, exactly. Great tip, Nick. Well, we'll stop talking because we've got, uh, we've got a lot of good information on this episode coming up. But do us a favor, go um, you know, support our sponsors. Um, you know, Everyone that's... We're, we're not going to do another commercial because we already have it. But if they sponsor our, our podcast, feel free to, you know, you know, Yukonuba dog food, go get yourself some Yukonuba, go get yourself some ugly dog, you know, Dakota 283, support them because they support us. It goes a long way. Go and please like us on Facebook, like us on Instagram, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your girlfriend, (laughs) your wife, uh, because all of that does help. Um, This podcast continues to grow because of you guys and we really appreciate it. Uh, but Nick, uh, that was, that was my, uh, marketing spiel. Do you have anything <laughs> else other than that? There you go. I don't have anything to add other than it's springtime. Enjoy the good weather. The it's warming up. Days are getting longer. Take advantage, get out there, work your dog, train your dog, because before you know it, it's going to be a thousand degrees outside and you're going to mm-hmm. be like, man, I wish I had that 60, 70 degree weather back. So, uh, get out there, take advantage of it and we'll see you guys next week. There you go. We get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog, and they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition. It's pretty obvious when you think about it, though. It doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel. The saying garbage in, garbage out rings true in dog nutrition. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch to Yukonuba. You'll see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. 
head on over to yukanubasportingdog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukanuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog actually love to do, work. Picture this. You just finished a long day's hunt or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not, though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another Ugly Dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us, dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. All right, everybody. I'm joined this week with Spencer Fuller out of Seaport, Maine. Spencer, how you doing? Good, Nick. Good talking to you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I'm excited to do this. You know, uh, when I was recording the uh, episode a few weeks back, with the Carters, they mentioned somebody bought one of their dogs and was doing main search and rescue. And my ears kind of perked up uh, when I heard that somebody was doing state official search and rescue with a German short hair or a DK. Uh, and, I, and I asked them for your number, reached out, and I'm like, all right, we got to talk about this because this is really interesting and, and it really shows the versatility of these dogs. Uh, yeah, I'm... Um Great. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, don't get to talk to too many, uh, you know, DK people about, uh, about, uh, what we do, but, uh, yeah. Yep. Great opportunity. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's go ahead and just start off, kind of introduce yourself, tell us about your background and your history and, and your upbringing and, and really just kind of steer the ship into, uh, what got you into dogs in the first place before even getting into the search and rescue game. Okay. Um, I, uh, let me see, start, grew, grew up with, uh, uh, German short hairs, um, hunting over them since I was, uh, probably 12 years old. Um, had them in my hat, in my family house, uh, growing up. And then, uh, matter of fact, I got one for a wedding, my own first one for a wedding present. Um, that was about, uh, 40 years ago, 45 years ago. Um, I was uh, a member of, and still am a member of, a high angle and swift water rescue team in Maine. Um, and uh, about 25 years ago, um, I was introduced through them to uh, search and rescue dogs, um, and particular Maine search and rescue dogs, which is the uh, uh, only certified team here in the state working under the office auspices of the uh, Maine Warden Service. Um, so, uh, you know, that was 25 years ago. Um, and, uh, I'm on to my third, uh, German short hair. Uh, we'll get into a little more detail about that. I guess when we talk about, uh, yeah, well, let's uh, the, just, the disciplines, but 
I was go about ahead. to I was about to say you know go ahead and jump in and so have you only used German short hairs for for search and rescue because uh you know I know that the search and rescue game that that's kind of just a, another type of dog and breeds bread and butter so to speak you know when people think of yeah. search and rescue they're gonna think of other breeds before these sporting dogs so have you always used short hairs i have and uh when i started um you're absolutely right i mean uh the majority of the dogs were german shepherds um a few rottweilers um but that was the primary uh breed um there were a few labs um that uh uh, we're starting to be worked at that point of time. Um, and it was a bit of a problem for sporting dogs. I mean, I, first time I saw what they did, it was obvious to me that, uh, uh, being a German short hair person that, uh, uh, these dogs could knock this stuff out, um, you know, in great form. Um, but, uh, the, uh there was a, uh, kind of a mystique about, uh, um, hunting dogs in particular at that time and that people had tried them, uh, but, uh, they really weren't successful. They couldn't, uh, most of the problems they ran into were that the dogs were, um, too attuned to the environment, that they were, um, uh, too birdie, um, and lack of focus. But it, it, you know, that, it, that was just a matter of, um, your reward system and, you know, figuring out what you had to do to, uh, uh, to get them down the road, you needed to get them down. Um, and it took me a while. It took me about, uh, about two years to really figure out, the uh, the reward system to, uh, um, make it work. Um, to give you an idea that in search and rescue, uh, canine search and rescue, there's really, um, six different disciplines, um, and five that we certify here in the state of Maine, which is air scent, uh, tracking and trailing, cadaver, water, and land, um, and article, or evidence search. Um, so the first discipline most people certify in is air scent. That's the dog finding um, any human scent in the area in which you're looking for. And uh, the process uh, uh, that takes place in a, in a, in a search is... Uh, uh, they're usually put out in grids anywhere from 40 to 80 to 160 acres, depending upon um, what the search uh, um, dictates. Um, but the dog is to find uh, the victim, um, return back to the handler, give the handler um, a um, recognizable alert, and then return the handler to the victim. So, um, the, you know, the first problem with short hairs, it wasn't even short hairs, people were trying it with wire hairs and, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, high-end, say, field trial uh, labs, mm-hmm. um, was that the, uh, uh, the dog's reward system um, was to keep on hunting. Um, that's where they get their most juice, um, is that hunt. And so, um, uh, what people and myself ran into is that, uh, the dog would find the victim. And as soon as it find the victim, um, it's, uh, default was to, uh, uh, self reward by going back and keep hunting. Look for another victim. Uh, look for another victim. You have to just keep on searching. Uh, 
and so uh, the uh, it was all that was all kind of tied back into um, the reward system. And once you know, once that once I figured that out, um, that uh, I integrated the um, hunt um, and resuming the hunt back into the reward system it turned it all around. And once I figured that out, um, it was, um, um, you know, fairly easy so after that. I, 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 I want to spend a second on that one because you just, you just kind of sure. perked my interest on that because I've been in the, in the field with a few, few buddies, dogs who, uh, uh, until they really had a lot of reps, especially on the retrieving side, what you just described, I've seen plenty of bird dogs act that way to where they'll find birds and then they get mm-hmm. up, you shoot them. And then it's like, they don't have any interest in the reward of the retrieve and bringing it back to you. They just yeah. want to go find the next bird. And so, yeah, sure. so, you know, that, 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 you know, obviously I'm not dealing with a cadaver or a victim or, or a lost person or anything, but I want to spend a second on what you just said. You, you kind of change the reward system so that you incorporated the hunt back into it so that, so that they would, I guess, accomplish the task for you before going out on the next hunt. How did you do that? You know, how did you incorporate right. the hunt back into the reward? Okay. Yeah. So they're, so, uh, their self reward and their juice, their, you know, to feed in that drive is to keep on going. And so, uh, what I did was, um, introduce a part of the reward system was immediate search after that. So uh, what you do when you're setting these problems up in training, um, the dog goes in, uh, finds the victim. There's no problem with them finding the victim. Um, but, it's, you know, it's coming back uh, to you. So what I did was um, I started off uh, uh, kind of in close. Um, the dog found the victim. Um I was right there to be able to default any, any move away from that victim and even have the, the victim itself hold the dog there uh, with some treats until I arrived, right? And then as soon as I arrived, um, hold the dog uh, behind a tree somewhere where I can't see the victim and have that victim take off again, right? <laughs> okay. And that victim, takes off, that victim takes off again and, and that dog just, it, it just lights right up, right? Um, and, uh, at the same time, you're, you're, um, you know, you're picking them up, uh, you know, with your voice and, and your touch and, um, you know, get that victim out about, uh, 75 yards and let that dog go. And, uh, what's that? And so into the victim again, and that dog will come right back to you again, because look, look, this is, you know, this is, this is what really gets me going. Maybe we'll do it again. It's a game at that um, point. At that time, at that point, it's a game. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, once you get, once you get that in, uh, embedded in them, uh, there's, uh, uh, they just become a machine. Now let me back that up a little bit. And, um, uh, coupled with that was at the same time, um, working on developing kind of a, a ping pong attitude with the dog. So in my instance, it would be a uh, dog goes out to the victim, immediately comes back, um, then goes back out to the victim, immediately comes back. And you're rewarding all along there. You know, when you first start the dog, you re- the victim will reward them. Um, then after, uh, you know, a few sessions of that, you have the victim withhold 
the treat. Um, and it just keeps moving the, the uh, amp and the dog up further and further and further. So you get to the point where the dog will just ping pong back and forth between, you know, you and the victim, or in your case, you and the bird, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, once that behavior is, um, you know, proofed, and when I say proofed is that uh, you move that victim way out, um, you put people between you and him, um, you put a squirrel in a cage between you and him, you know, you all kinds, <laughs> you put all kinds of distractions in there uh, to proof the dog. Uh, so, um, you know, bombs could be going off and he's not going to deter from getting back to you. So oh. I'm kind of, I'm kind of condensing this because it's over multiple sessions that you get to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, that you, you know, get, get to do that point. And, and at know. the end of the day, you know, dog training is dog training, right? So what you just described yeah. is, is you really figured out a way to translate it to the dog, to get him to want to do it to, to where he's having fun. It's a game to him, but he, he wants to succeed for you and you just baby step it on up. You make it a little bit more difficult, a little bit more difficult. Then you start adding in even more distraction so that they have to start yep. distinguishing between the sense. It's really the same process that we do on training these dogs to do whatever is, you know, Absolutely. you, you kind of have to teach it, then train it and then test it. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Proof it. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, there's no, it's no difference. It's all, you know, it's all, um, you know, the, the searching, the finding is all just nose work. Um, and, um, it's, you know, introducing your target odor, um, um, you know, teaching the dog, um, uh, that, you know, that is the target odor, um, and then teaching obedience to that odor. Um, and then, uh, start ramping it up. Once you get that, um, uh, you know, then start building in your distractions and, and, uh, proofing it for the environment. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's basically simple back chaining yeah. and, um, you know, starting with your last behavior and getting that solid, you know, in our, in, in our, in our field, um, that, uh, that last behavior is, um, you know, going into that victim. Yeah. Um, and, uh, well, no, let me back it up. The last behavior is the alert. So the first thing we train is the alert. So for air scent, uh, my dog's alert is a jump. Um, okay. you know, some people use it. Some people use a bark. Some people use grabbing a toy. Um, but in my experience, it's, uh, you know, the, the dog likes the jump. It likes the contact. It's a jump start. The, you know, Go get it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, um, so, uh, after you get that, um, okay. So that, so that's for air scent for cadaver. It's different in that, um, you do not want to, I mean, you want that dog to be still and focused. So for cadaver, um, the alert is a, is a focused response, which is a dead point. I mean, I, you, you can go, you know, grab this dog, on the collar and you can't pull them off of that, um, drawer that has a cadaver in it or whatever. Um, they're just, just, uh, you know, just a commitment to that order. Um, and, uh, so, so, so and, break that down for me. So you're, you're looking for a cadaver and you're saying that when the dog actually finds, finds the cadaver, it slams on point for you on the cadaver. 
Um, yeah, yes. Now it's, it's, you know, it's different from, uh, you know, forensic, um, cadaver work where you're, where you're looking for small, uh, pieces, blood spots, um, um, you know, small pieces of evidence. You don't want the dog to interfere with that at all. Yeah. So, you know, it's like a, like a bomb dog, you know, you don't want the bomb, you don't want the bomb <laughs> dog to mess around with a bomb. No, no. So it's, yeah. So it's the same, you know, same thing with, uh, with cadaver, um, on the forensics, you know, it's different than looking for a, a whole body. Uh, my experience in finding whole bodies is that whatever you train for, um, on an alert, on a, you know, a large cadaver, um, uh, you are not going to get what you train for. Um, it's bizarre, but I, they'll tell you, you'll know it. There's no question. You'll know it, but you will not get it. It's just because it's so overwhelming and we just don't get a chance to, to train with large parts. Gotcha. Okay? Makes sense. Um, so yeah, so that's a little bit different, but most of the stuff we're doing is, um, is, um, look, you know, looking for clandestine graves, um, or, um, uh, you know, small, small pieces. And so that's where um, you want that focused response where the, you know, the dog is, is, is locked on pointing the source and as close to the source as it can get without disturbing it. Okay. It's got to drive through to get as close as it can, but can't disturb it. So we take that to a bird, you know, a bird's uh, held up and yep. gets get close as he can get. So that's exactly um, what I was and, about to say. Get close enough to where you can pinpoint it, but not close enough to where you bump it. So a lot of right, relation right. already here. Exactly. And then, th- then the next piece of that is obedience to that odor. Um, cause in cadaver work, um, you, the worst thing you can do is give a false indication. Um, that can mess everything up, especially if it ever goes, um, uh, you know, into a, a legal case in courts. Um, so your dog has to be absolutely true to that odor. It can't now, lie whatsoever. With, can't, no lying. But and we're lucky with cadaver because of the cadaver spectrum is so broad. Um, it's, you know, cadaver from uh, five minutes after death is uh, this, there's this odor profile that's the same as a um, bone um, uh, burnt in a campfire, believe it or not. Okay. So, yeah, so... Um, once the dog gets, um, imprinted on cadaver, let's say you use, we use placentas a lot. Um, and so, and freeze them. So they're fairly fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that odor profile of that fresh placenta, a piece of that is in, uh, a one hour old dead person, um, and a, you know, bones that have been burnt in the fire. Okay. So, so, um, we're lucky in that way. So I don't have to, so I'm going to train, uh, I mean, my dog will learn on bones in a, in a fire pit. Um, but I don't have to train him to bones in a fire pit. I'll <laughs> proof him on bones to a fire pit, but I don't have to train him to it because part of that spectrum is within that whole broad spectrum of, uh, of cadaveral odor. Um, so, uh, so it's back to the obedience to odor. Um, once that dog is locked on, um, you know, same as a, same as a pointing dog, um, you absolutely don't need, you know, do not want him to move or to break that. 
Um, cause as soon as they break that, um, then that concentration or what they're doing is gone. Yeah. Um, they're onto another, they're onto another mode. So it's the idea of just keeping them, you know, locked on that. So what we do a little bit different, well, it's very similar to birds is that, um, um, I use what are called Croyer boxes for my uh, scent detection work. And it's easy to set those up so you can build in um, disobedience odor. It's easy to, to proof it with a, with a box because you can control all of the variables. Um, so you have control of every one of the variables and every one of the distractions, uh, which is, you know, really helpful. I never thought about using them for birds, but you could. <laughs> Great. So, um, so uh, I got a quick question for you if, yeah. as it relates to birds and using it in a training scenario. When you're setting up these scenarios for your dog, walk us through actually setting it up to where where you're you're really getting to see the dog work the objective that you wanted want it to work. And what I mean by that, like, are you walking the the target out there? Are you planning the box yourself? And do you have any worry about the dog just following your own foot scent? And the reason why I ask is because when we plant birds, you know, we, we try and tell everybody, you know, if, if it's your dog, you don't go plant the birds. If you got a helper, have yeah. somebody else plant the birds. Do you have to worry about that when you're training these dogs in, in an environment that you are? Um, yeah. When you're, when you're first starting, um, you do. And so, um, but it's not, not to the level that you'd, you you think that the concern, you know, you'd be that concerned. Uh, you got to give these dogs some credit. They know this game. They know exactly oh, yeah. what's going on. You know, um, I use a pre-start with my um, with my uh, uh, cadaver work because my dogs are uh, um, uh, sense specific. Um, so sense specific means that. Uh, particularly in trailing and uh, I'm kind of coming around full circle to answer your yeah, question, but, yeah. um, uh, tracking is really my, uh, forte and he's a sense specific tracking dog. So that means the odor I give him, the human odor I give him is the only human he's going to track. Right. So I can go, I think I mentioned this to you. I can go to a Walmart on Saturday afternoon and have somebody walk out of the door, um, walk across the parking lot, walk down the mall and walk into another store. And, you know, a half hour, hour later, come back. I don't know how many people would have gone through there by then, right? Start my dog at the door and he'll track that, he'll find that scent and track that victim through all the other scents that are there um, to his location. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, That's amazing. It's, well, it's crazy what these dogs, we have no, you know, we don't even scratch the surface, you no. know, uh, of what these dogs uh, are capable of doing. Um, so, the, so now you, so the dog is scent, scent specific. Um, so there's no question that if I go out and, and stash a cadaver someplace that he's gonna, he's a tracking dog. He knows what I smell like that. He's going to go right to that. Right. Yep. Yep. So, um, but the overriding that, right, is the cadaver scent that he's being set up to find, 
So, um, yeah, I could be sensitive to that, but I'm going to take that dog downwind, um, a hundred yards, 200 yards, right. And, uh, start them. And depending upon the size of the odor and what the wind's going to do it, um, he's going to pick that up, um, at probably when I start him, if the wind's right, he'll already, he'll, he'll, is, he's already ready to go. He's already picked it up a yeah. hundred yards, 200 yards. Um, and so, um, it, you know, it, 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 the, the, the odor and the drive, the odor is, is, is more than him trying to figure out, Oh, I'm just going to follow Spencer in now. If, if indeed it's only a small, small sample, and I start him out like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, he tracked me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd know that and I, and I would completely nuke the area if I, if I determined that that was going to be a, um, a, uh, you know, a stumbling block, uh, or a crutch for him in the problem. So, um, you know, I, I just walk all over the place, take somebody else in and walk all over the place. And then, uh, just contaminate the entire area. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Just, you know, just nuke it. If that, you know, if that's a fear, um, but it's, you know, yeah, they're going to get your rotor, but after about, I don't know how many times, not that many, they're going to figure out if, you know, that somebody, because especially if you're working in woods that are fairly uncontaminated, that they're going to follow anybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, until they pick up the odor, uh, of the, uh, of the cadaver or, or the, you know, the person that you're looking for Yeah. now. Um, so it's really not an issue with air scent, but it is an issue with, uh, uh, say with cadaver or evidence. Um, you know, we'll, I have my stuff set up in uh, PVC tubes and stuff like that, that I can throw and, you know, there's all different ways in which you can work around the same thing with birds. Yep. Um, just got to get creative with it. Right. Right. But in essence, if once, if, if they know that you're out there for the bird, um, and they get scent of that bird, um, you know, they aren't going to think about foot tracks. Now they'll use the foot track to get to the scent of the bird. Yeah. Um, but after that, it's, um, you know, so it's onto the, onto the scent. Absolutely. So I, I want to touch on, you know, you said that there's really six different sections of the search and rescue game. Uh, real quick question in the order that you set it in, is that really the order that you go in while you train and, and certify these dogs? Um, usually everybody starts with, uh, air scent. I mean, most people, um, don't train or don't certify in all disciplines. Most people just certify in one discipline. Okay. Um, and that'll, and it's usually air scent. Now there's been a, there's been more interest in, uh, cadaver only because it's easy. Um, and so, um, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we didn't have that many good cadaver dogs. Um, but, um, it's, that's grown and grown. Um, uh, so you'll have people do air scent, and land cadaver. Okay. All right. Um, the hardest discipline is, uh, tracking trailing and, um, article could 
Uh, no, article's easy. Articles, <laughs> no, matter of fact, article's the easiest. Article's the easiest. Okay. I mean, I start my dog. I start my dogs at eight weeks on articles in the house. Um, they're fully article trained by the time they're you know four or five months old. Um, and uh, articles are a key piece in the tracking and trailing. So um, tracking, uh, tracking, and trailing is is really the 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 toughest. Uh, uh, discipline, but to answer your question, so start start with air scent. Most people start with air scent. I start with tracking and trailing. I recommend anybody getting into search and rescue starts with uh, trailing, um, and uh, um, they don't have to certify in it. They don't have to take it to high levels, but get the dog tracking and then get it. Uh, start working on your air scent. So, um, so walk us through how do you start the tracking? Because you know there there's an obvious uh, connection there with with hunting dogs and what you're doing with the with tracking and trailing. Because a lot of people track uh, that their deer with it. I mean, you know, the NA right. test and then and NAVDA yep. has a pheasant track. Yep. What do you yep. do to really introduce yep. tracking to your dogs? Well, the first thing you the first thing you do is um, um, introduce the uh, the odor. And um, get them uh, um, uh, proof to that odor. Okay, um, there's some there's some guys in Holland. A guy named Dick Stahl does a great job on this, um, and and also uh, human tracking. But he does quite a bit with uh, game. And uh, you start by getting the dog. Uh, well, first you start with article. Okay. Mm-hmm. And article art, you know, article, you start right at, uh, you know, you can start at eight weeks. Um, and, uh, basically it's any inanimate object that with human scent on it. Um, I use washers and, um, you get the dog, uh, you teach the dog, uh, to give a down indication at the washer. Okay. So you start off in your, you start off in your house with your scent on the washer. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, you know, very, you know, very simple. You put the, you, you put the puppy down, um, you put the washer down, um, or you might want to start with something bigger, like a screwdriver. Um, as soon as that dog, uh, looks at it, click and treat and, and just keep working that up until you have the dog giving you a good down indication with that article between its paws. Right. Okay. Um, so once you have that done, the dog knows, uh, he's got that behavior, um, on that, on human scent. So now, um, you take a sterile, um, you know, a, a small, a small puppy silver or uh, stainless steel uh, feeding dish. Okay? okay. Sterilize it, get it all cleaned up. And so it's sterile. Um, then put your, then put, uh, contaminated, you know, uh, with deer blood. Um, uh, you can use a washer or you can use anything that's holding the blood in that sterile pan. Right. And you do the same thing. You put the pan down. Um, and, um, it's just, you know, uh, you're rewarding in with proximity. The dog, you know, just moves its head towards the pan, whoop, click and treat. Um, or yes and treat, yes and treat, yes and treat. Until it gets closer and closer, you, you know, you withhold your um, your marker until it gets, until it finally gets its nose right on it, right? 
Mm-hmm. And so then you aren't, so then you, now you aren't uh, marking and rewarding until the dog's nose is right on it. All right. So now, so now you got the dog, he's imprinted on the dog, on the deer blood, um, and he's going to indicate on it. So now you take, take it out of the pan, um, and you start moving it around on the lawn. Okay. Um, and, uh, the dog's just doing little searches till it finds it and goes down, reward, and move it again. Um, then the next step would be um, to um, uh, make that a little bit harder, lengthen that out a little bit, um, have the dog have to work a little bit more uh, to get to it. Um, and then, um, then it's a matter of um, either setting up a drag or um, uh, moving, uh, moving those washers, um, they start out in a straight line with, uh, 20, 20 yards long with, uh, 10 washers, right? And the dog will go from washer to washer to washer and washer to indicate it. And so, and then you're on the road nice. after that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool, but you gotta, you know, it's, it's, it's basically backing up to the imprinting. Number yeah. one, get, get it imprinted, get it imprinted under a controlled environment. Um, all of this stuff um, is the key to it is controlling that environment that you have control of all the variables. There's not going to be any surprises here. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, that's, that's one of the keys. So that same thing with, with game tracking is how we start um, with, uh, uh, human tracking, except you don't need the sterile dish, and you start using uh, uh, your own tracks. Um, I lay the majority of tracks I run in practice. I lay, um, and uh, most of the uh, what do I say? Um, you'll hear some people say, "Oh, you know, don't you can't have your dog tracking you. It'll mess everything up. He'll end up tracking you and when you're on a track." No, <laughs> does not happen. Absolutely does not happen. <laughs> um, the thing about being able to do it yourself is that you know exactly how that track was laid. Mm-hmm. Um, and um that's so valuable, especially when you get into really contaminated urban tracking like the Walmart that I mentioned, uh, yeah. Home Depot. Um, so yeah. So, okay. So yeah. So, so this tracking, this tracking piece being the hardest is that, um, it's, um, once you're, when you're, you're dealing with a very, very low threshold of, uh, scent, um, in a very contaminated area, um, not only by, um, other people, but just environmental contamination. Um, and that do- and the dog has to stay focused on this, um, um, you know, for hours, right? Hours. Um, and the longest one I had was about eight hours in up in Baxter park. Um, and, uh, the dog never lost it. Um, and it, this wasn't me. I mean, it's just a dog, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. uh, they just, uh, yeah. Now so, how, I'm um, curious, you said it was eight hours on that track, but how long was it before? Like how, how long of a wait time was it that you laid the track and then you started the track? It was a day. So, so really, well, you know, it was actually, it was actually, it was actually almost 28 hours. Yeah. 
What? So it was 28 it, hours from the time you laid the track to start it and then another eight hours for, oh, no, for no, the this actual is, track? This is, a, this is a real victim. Went He went missing. Oh, okay. Um, he went missing the day, day before we got up there. So um, he went missing. Um, he went missing somewhere in the afternoon. Um, it wasn't reported to uh, uh, the park rangers until uh, the, that evening. Um, we were called out, and I got up there. Um, and now we're getting on to war stories. Um, <laughs> we got we got up there um, uh, about uh, daybreak the next morning. Um, it was a three and a half hour hike up just to get to the uh, PLS, the place last seen of this guy. Um, and that, so that's a three hour, three and a half hour climb to get up there. Um, so, um, we got up to the PLS, um, started them, um, and we continued the track all the way up until, um, they, they flew us all, they came in a helicopter and flew us out just at, uh, uh, sunset, which was, at, it was in the summertime. So this was around, uh, eight o'clock. Um, so he had tracked over, um, two peaks, um, and, um, up to the top of the third, uh, and, uh, we lost in the dark. So all we were able to do was give the, um, direction of travel. Um, okay. okay. So, uh, which was interesting because, um, all the other information they had was the direction of travel was in the opposite direction. So I'm, you know, when I heard that, I'm feeling lower than, man, I'm, you know, oh man, did I blow this one? And, um, but it came to be found out that no, we were on it. He went over exactly where, because he went over exactly where we had gone and where we had banded it because of losing light. Um, and they found him just on the backside of that mountain, right down from where we were. What, so, um, was was he alive was or was he, was he dead? No, he was alive. Yeah, he was alive. Yeah. So, so that's so, how we were able to, that's how, that's how we were able to figure out that the dog was on him the whole time. <laughs> so, so a lot of this, a lot of, a lot of this tracking is, uh, is, uh, you know, really not maybe getting to the victim, but giving a direction of travel yeah. to be able to put, re- to put resources in the correct area, especially when you're dealing with a huge, you know, with Baxter state park, you know, just huge, huge wilderness. Right. Uh, man, that, that, that's fascinating. So real quick, I actually do want to get into like some of your, your most memorable war stories before we let you go. But I do, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you said that the cadaver land and cadaver water, they're two different sections, you know, yeah. why so, is it, it, it walk <laughs> us through that? Like just, just why, uh, why is that two different things? Um, the, um, Water is like a perfect medium for um, uh, exposing uh, the scent and dispersing it in a scent cone downwind because there's nothing to block it. You know, in the woods, um, you know, it's twirled around trees and hills and gullies and, you know, you know, it'll, it'll loft, it'll pick up and it'll, you know, drop, uh, hundreds or, you know, miles away. Um, and, uh, but with, uh, and water, um, when a victim's in the water, 
um, gases are coming out of all the or, or all the orifices. Um, you have um, you know oils, uh, skin, everything coming off them, floating to the surface. Um, and when that odor breaks the surface, um, it just moves downwind in a in a like a perfect scent cone. Um, so what you want, what we do is uh, we set the dogs up. Um, usually in water you have a PLS where the, where the boat overturned um, or, you know, he was last seen swimming or whatever. So you yeah. got an idea of where, where you want to set up downwind and work up wind. So um, the dog is set in the bow of the boat. Um, you start um, perpendicular uh, to the wind with the wind at your ear. And um, what happens is, is a dog, um, when he hits that scent, right, will orientate into it, just, you know, swing his nose over into it. Um, and uh, at that point, you move the boat, follow the dog's nose, move the boat into it, then move a little bit further and the dog will go, you know, let's say he went right, then he'll go left and then you go right and left and right. And you just zigzag your way up the scent cone, right? So you get close to where the odor is exiting the water. Um, and if you're good at, at orientating the, the dog's nose, um, you'll actually be able to put that dog right over where it's coming out. At that point, the dog's nose is down on the water, his ass is up in the air, and his front <laughs> legs are tucked right into his front, I mean, his back legs are tucked right into his front legs. Um, and uh, that's when you call it. Um, and, you know, depending if, you know, if you have any thermoclines, how deep it is, um, but that body is going to be within, you know, 15, 20 feet of where that odor is coming up. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty neat, but it's, um, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's very subtle and it's, it takes a lot of reading the dog, um, you know, at first. Yeah. Um, but well, very, you it, know, the whole time you're really describing effective. that, you know, I can't help but try and relate it back to the gun dog world and, and, you know, coon hounds, people driving down the down the road with, with the dog on the back of the truck that's supposed yeah. to, you know, strike yeah. as soon as they watch smell his, it. Watch his nose. Right. Yeah. 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 Watch yeah. his watch, nose. Watch yeah. His yeah. nose yeah. And then he's going to, he's going to bay as soon as you, you pass something that crossed the road or it catches it in the air. So it's, it's very similar. And, and I'm just amazed. Like, you know, I know, okay, you're doing the search and rescue thing with a gun dog, with a hunting breed. So I know there's going to be similarities, but everything you're describing, it really is. You're just using the dog for what it was bred for, but the game is different. That's that's really exactly. what it is. Exactly, exactly. And I hunted all my life, and I'll tell you, hunting people is the most fun. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I mean, I love shooting birds, but hunting people is is it's intense. Well, you know, what's, track, the, what's that? Tracking. What's that name of the movie? The the most dangerous game or something? You sound you sound like that guy that goes and lets the the man loose in the woods just to hunt him down later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, so. so you know, in this world, obviously, I'm not accustomed to it. That's why I'm so fascinated by it. But you know, th there's a few things that c come to mind, like 
that, that I had questions about coming into this recording. You answered one. I was actually curious if his pointing instinct would, would come out when it found the target or the victim. You already answered that. Uh, mm-hmm. But I want to know, do you or does anybody else that does a search and rescue game, do they also hunt or is it kind of like a, an either or thing? Not, you know, not in this country. I don't think I've ever met anybody working as sporting breed that, that hunts from here, but in Europe, um, the majority of them hunt their dogs. So, um, they have no problem with working their dog on game, you know, uh, a lot of blood trackers and, uh, yeah. Wow. But like I say, don't hit It was, and, and that's probably because it was so discouraged here yeah um i mean when i first started you know even though people weren't uh sporting breed handlers all right they'd still have their comments yeah and you know and was was they're so birdie you can't hunt them you can't do this you can't even (laughs) let them you know you can't let them see a bird you know it's uh yeah fat chance working in the woods and not seeing a bird so yeah well, and I'm curious about that. You know, you just mentioned the, the one story you talked about three miles up. You know, technically, if you're climbing to the the last known sighting, uh, it, you don't have like a command or you walking them at heel or is he on a leash or like, I'm just curious if you're going three miles in the backwoods and you do happen to come across a grouse, like what does he do if he's not actually on a scent and actually working? Cause I get that he can distinguish and focus in on the task, but I'm curious yeah. about like on the way to the task, does he still, does yeah. that, does that come out in his genetics a little bit? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and um, it 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 uh, really highlights uh, another issue um, with this with this breed, and um, that's their um, sensitivity to the environment. Mm-hmm. And um, it uh, it really wasn't an issue with me when I first two dogs, but this DK is <laughs> off the hook, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and yeah. Bless the Carters, but this dog brought me to tears a Uh-oh. couple of times <laughs> the, first, the, first, the first couple of the first couple of years. I mean, at two years old, he lost his eye in the woods from blunt trauma running. Oh God! Um, yeah, so yeah, so he's he's a one-eyed short hair, uh, but it didn't it you know it didn't slow him down a bit. So, um, <laughs> but it was but it's it was it's their you know as you said it's their it's the interest um, in the environment you know. Um, you get the you know, the dog out of the crate, get on the tailgate, and you know all he's doing is looking around, nose in the air, what the hell's going on, right? Yep. Um, and um, w- what we need to do um, is um, change that around and get that dog engaged, and have that dog when you're working that dog, um, he's engaged, he's on you, and he's on task. There's nothing, there's no looking, smelling, peeing. Um, that's it until I release them, right? Go play. Um, so um, with this dog, it was, an, it was really imperative to um, um, get that instilled and proof solid. Um, and uh, what I did with him was uh, every time I come home from work, I'd put him in the back of the pickup truck and, I'd go up to, I started with, um, 
very pristine, uncontaminated area. I knew there were no squirrels there. I knew there was, you know, very little people there. Um, and, um, I'd, uh, to let him out of his crate, get him on the tailgate, keep him engaged, get him down, uh, uh, do some, uh, uh, focused healing, um, walk around a little bit back, back in the truck again. Um, and then go to another place, same setup, do that again. Um, and then, uh, progress on to, um, uh, more distractions, uh, more contamination. Um, um, and then, um, after you get that, um, these rock solid on that, then start introducing some distractions, mm-hmm. um, whether it be a, you know, a squirrel in a cage, you got to have a heart or something like that. Um, but keeping him, you know, focused through this, you know, through all of those distractions, um, on you that he's on task and there's no, there's no fooling around, you know, I mean, yeah. he, you know, uh, he, he just moves his head away from you and, you know, you, you know, it's a negative, you yeah. know, it, you know, it's a no, it's a, it's a, it's a, a short correction. Um, and, uh, you know, it takes time, especially on, especially with these, uh, DKs. And I only experience really training one DK and that's this one. Um, <laughs> But, uh, These German uh dogs. I mean, yeah, but once, Hey, but once they get it, once they, they get, it. get it, I mean, it, they get it. I yeah. mean, and you, you just, you cannot, I mean, yeah, you could set a bomb off next to this dog and, <laughs> and you know, if, if I got him focused on me, he's going to stay focused on me. It's incredible. Some, some that, people are worried is, about gun shyness and you're sitting there and you can set a bomb off next to your dog while, while working. You're good to yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So, so that, um, um, kind of translates into, you know, your question about, you know, how they behave or whether they're going to be distracted by a bird or, um, yeah, sure. Squirrel runs across the path. Um, you know, take a look, um, a quick, leave it, bang, he's off of it. You know, it doesn't move. Um, and, um, yeah, sure. I'm sensitive to keep them, um, you know, in close, you know, on this one here where you're walking for three and a half hours to get to the spot. Um, uh, you know, most of the time he's going to be off lead, but I'm going to keep him in close. I'm not going to let him range. You don't want him um, worn out by the time you get there. I don't want him worn out. And, and, uh, but I want him in close and I want to, you know, cause I'm watching him cause I don't know if this guy walked down this trail and moved True. off into the woods. You know True. what I mean? The, yeah. yeah the, the search starts when you, um, leave the truck, yep. you know? So, um, yeah. Makes so sense. That, yeah, so that's how I just you know deal with that. It's just and it, it's not only uh, you know for this discipline or for what I do, but I think it's so critical that um, people um, work on their engagement and they have their engagement piece solid. If you have that dog, if, well, first I assume he's operant because you got him to that stage. Um, so so you got a good operant dog, and if you have that dog engaged, um, then you're you know, you're 95, 98% there because he's there willing, you know, ready to work for you. Yeah. Um, and if he's not engaged, forget it. I mean, you know, no. as soon as he gets out of sight, if he, he's, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, yeah. I, so before I let you go, I need to hear the war story. I need to hear the war story. <laughs> like the first one that comes to mind, the, the one that if you're laying on your deathbed, you know, everybody knows that you're going to tell one last uh, yeah. time. 
that, you know, the one that you constantly go to that people roll your eyes that are closest to you because they've heard a million times. I want to hear that yeah. story. I, I guess the, uh, I, I, I guess one of the, the first ones is always, uh, you know, is always memorable. And, uh, my first dog, I mean, I didn't know shit about search and rescue and dogs. And, and this dog taught me and he was an unbelievable, he was an unbelievable dog. He's certified in five different disciplines. Um, had a, you know, number of different finds. Um, but, uh, the first one we were called out on was a, uh, uh, a kid mountain biker, um, uh, didn't come back, uh, to a camp. And, um, the place was pretty much nuked by law enforcement. Um, the, the, the start really wasn't, uh, uh, really wasn't conducive. Um, and, uh, but we had a, uh, I had a report of a bicycle track, um, that was about oh, two miles from the, uh, uh, PLS. And, uh, so this was at night and it was, um, it was, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, a hail Mary shot to go out to this bicycle track. And so myself and the warden went out, um, started the dog on it, um, and um, he locks in and takes off. And we tracked this guy on the bike for, um, uh, must have been probably three hours. Um, and um, um, it was starting to get light. And the uh, we were working along, working along, working along. Um, all of a sudden, the dog broke his head went up. Um, he stopped. Um, and, uh, I said to the warden, I said, um, he's here, he's here close, but, uh, um, you know, I can't give it a direction after this. I mean, the dog has just stopped. Um, and so I tried, I started the dog again, um, turned around, um, and, uh, started working kind of in the opposite direction and took a 45 degree turn, worked up this hill. Um, and, uh, there was this kid. Um, and, uh, I mean, that was memorable only because it was a crazy start on a bicycle track mm -hmm. and, uh, um, you know, it was fairly long and this kid was pretty young and, and pretty scared. Uh, but that was only because it was the first one. Um, but that was pretty, that was, that was memorable. I think yeah. some of the, uh, I think some of the, uh, you, you know, some of the ones that I've been involved with that didn't, um, that, uh, you know, really didn't have a find out of it. Um, but a uh, team member had a find, um, were, um, you know, some of the, uh, cadaver, um, especially criminal cadaver cases, particularly one stands in mind up in, uh, uh, Miramichi where, uh, this guy had, uh, killed his, uh, wife. They had pretty much sure that he had done it and, uh, took off on a three wheeler, um, and, uh, shot her with a 22 in the head and, uh, disposed of the body. But this guy was, um, this may be too long a story, Nick. <laughs> Go for it. You got me hooked I don't know now. if you want to hear this one. No, you, okay, you, can't, well, this, you can't leave me hanging with a dude shot his wife and then took off on okay, a three-wheeler so and then nothing. You remember watching the old uh, uh, westerns where, you, where the 
uh, sheriff rides into town and everybody's just looking out the window and yeah. nobody's talking to him. And right. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what Miramichi was like when we showed up there uh-huh. with myself and myself and two under two other dog handlers, um, a lieutenant from the main warden service, two lieutenants and a sergeant from the main warden service. Cause this, this poor little town in, uh, on the Miramichi had no resources. Uh, the, at this time, the, uh, our RMCP were not running cadaver dogs. The guy, they knew the guy had killed his wife, but he'd also, they also knew they had killed his wife's brother. Um, but they couldn't pin it on it because they couldn't find the body. They contacted us in the winter. They said, we can't do anything crazy to go up there in the winter time and look, but in the spring we'll go up there. Um, we go up, spend three days, nuke the place. I mean, it's just huge. Um, and, uh, don't find anything Say, Hey, if you get any more information, um, on this, on this victim, uh, let us know. You know we'll come back up again. Yeah, yeah. Let us know. So we, so about three weeks later, four weeks later, they call us and yeah, come on up. And I mean, it was crazy. It was like 95 degrees. We had a, we had a, uh, search from like, you know, six o'clock at night, all the way through the night. And then, you know, in the morning, you know, get some sleep cause it was too hot to work the dogs. Um, and this, the town was, I mean, it was just like this. Nobody would talk to us. Everybody was to back it up a little even further. This town was the home of the most famous serial killer in Canada. And, uh, he had come back, he had gotten out of prison and come back and killed three other people. So this town was really sensitive. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> you know, good they, Lord. Yeah. They didn't want to, they didn't want to, they didn't want to get involved in that. Um, but uh, we were having uh, we were having uh, breakfast after uh, searching all night, um, and uh, one of the one of the cops and the uh, lieutenant of the warden service came in and said we got we got one little piece here out out in back of this restaurant that we'd like to check. And Deb Palman, who was the first woman warden uh, uh, in the state and ran the dog program until she retired, um, said, "Okay, I'll I'll go grab it." Um, and she goes back in about an hour. Um, she finds the woman, which means the guy's going to be arrested. He's going to be put away. I mean, the whole thing was, I mean, the town just, the town just lit up. I mean, it was, it was just crazy, um, you know, crime to solve. Um, and there's a great book on it, the death dealer. Um, but it has the whole death deal. It's all about the dogs and, and, uh, finding this guy or finding this woman. But that was probably the most memorable one because it was, uh, um, yeah, it was a criminal one. It was in this, you know, small town and all the dynamics with the people. And, you know, I'm probably boring you, but that was, <laughs> that was a real, that was a real memorable one. That sounds awesome. Well, yeah. well, Spencer, I mean, what you do with these dogs are amazing. And, and like what we talked about pretty much throughout the whole whole episode is again you're using this dog for what it was bred to do genetically and the the game is different that's all it is you replace birds yeah. or deer yeah. or or whatever you just replace that with with human bodies it really is yep. what is what you did and so and so it's a good testament it, it shows the versatility of these dogs you're, you're using everything that ha- that dog has genetically to offer and you're applying it uh, in, in real world situations and, and just really difficult, challenging situations. And so I'm, I'm fascinated by it and I appreciate you coming on and, and, you know, telling us a little bit about it. 
Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, the key, you know, the key is these dogs and their versatility, and that's why you're able to certify them in, in uh, five different disciplines. You know, in the state of Maine here, we maybe get called for a air scent uh, uh, problem, um, and it could, uh, or a trailing problem, and that could morph into an air scent, and that could morph into a water search. You know, yeah. and uh, and there's always an opportunity to find a victim's article. So having a having a versatile uh, uh, dog um, is uh, you know is just a real real plus for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. No, well, I appreciate it, and uh, Spencer, we'll have to talk soon, and uh, maybe. All right, Nick. Well, I appreciate tell, it. Thank, thank, thank you stories. very much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukonuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.